what a heart-rending song when you think about I won't be afraid and you know we're all a place where I'll be safe I mean they were really deep profound emotions that came out of a lot of pain there was nothing shallow about it <laughs> Hello friends, this is Wyatt. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee, joined as always by my lovely assistant, Jason Brewer. Hi. (laughs) And you're listening to the Sail On Podcast. Everything you need to know about the Beach Boys. So this week, there's some news that we should fill you guys in on. Jason, tell us about it. Well, I was cruising around the internet and I noticed that Al Jardine has scheduled four tour dates, which he said are going to be shows that are in intimate venues, sharing kind of a storyteller-style show, with him and his son Matt is joining him for the shows. And it looks like he's got four shows listed on his website, aljardine.com. We have Tuesday, January 23rd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, followed by a second show, on the 24th same venue the dakota and then he has two shows january 29th and 30th at the musical instrument museum in phoenix arizona so if you guys want to have a unique experience with the jardines then that should be an excellent opportunity if you're in those areas to go check that out i definitely would go if i were out there so that sounds pretty awesome yeah that does sound cool i hope that somebody gets some good footage of that i i wonder if it'll just be like Al with a guitar and then maybe Matt, you know, singing like the like counterparts. So that should be cool. Um, we want to get into the show by reading some new emails that we've gotten. We're falling behind a little bit. You guys are very gracious with your emails and really appreciate you writing in. Keep doing it. We're going to try and get to everybody. First up, we have an email from Pete Needle says, hi guys, just wanted to say thanks for creating such a great podcast. It's so rare to be able to listen to people who are as excited and passionate about the Beach Boys as I am. Really looking forward to listening to you guys go through all the albums and dissect everything. I also really enjoy the sound bites in the podcast. I've tried listening to music podcasts where they just talk about music and don't play it, which is crazy to me. Also, you should totally come down to Australia and play. It's a bit of a trick. In return, I can show you the best pubs in Perth, though. Cheers, Pete. Cool. Well, thanks, Pete. We are super glad to just share our love of the Beach Boys with enthusiastic people just like yourself. Um, I agree with you about the podcast. I listen to some other podcasts where they didn't play the music they were talking about, and it kind of got me a little aggravated. It's like, well, this is advertisement for the people you're interviewing. Play some of the music. So I'm glad you're enjoying our approach. And uh, you book them, we'll play them down in Australia. Sure. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, we also have a Beach Boys tribute band under the same name sail on and we are just getting into a year of a lot of shows so if you're in the u.s 
and you want to come see us, please check out the website, saleonsounds.com. And uh, we've got a few upcoming shows, by the way, Jason, what we got coming yeah, up. Yeah, we're, we're playing Saturday, January 20th in Selma, North Carolina at the Rudy Theater. And then the following weekend, we're playing in Memphis, Tennessee at Lafayette's Music Room. Um, there's some shows in the South and there's a lot more to come. So check out saleonsounds.com for more dates. I think we've got like 40 listed up there for this year so far. So I'm sure we'll be hitting your neck of the woods. Hopefully we'll get out West later in the year too. Yeah. That'll be super fun to meet some of you guys. If you can come out to shows, let us know that you're coming. We'd love to talk to you and nerd out about the beach boys and, um, eat some good food, maybe have a, an adult beverage or two. And uh, we're super excited. And I think, you know, we might try and do some some recordings while we're on the road, maybe uh, interview some people or maybe do some little on-the-road check-ins from um, Bucky's Truck Stop and stuff like that. Always Bucky's for life. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's going to be the first sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> Bucky's. If you guys don't know about Bucky's, you should check them out. It's like... Mostly, it's, is it just Texas. in Texas? I think so. Yeah. These crazy, like, I mean, crazy to us because I had never seen it, but some of you may be very well versed in, in the Bucky's legacy. But uh, Bucky's is a like Walmart size truck stop, and uh, there's several of them in Texas. And we had like a hundred gas pumps. <laughs> it's insane. And um, it's definitely worth checking out. We're going to, Hopefully get to hit another one of them up soon. This July. uh, Yeah, in July. That's right. All right, not to get too sidetracked. Back to the emails. Thanks, Pete, for writing. We're going to try and come to Australia. That would be great. I've never been to Australia. I went to Japan one time. That's about as close as I've gotten. But um, we'll do our best. We'll see what we can do. I want to go visit our friend Ash in Australia, too. That's right. What up, Ash, if you're listening? All right, so next up, we have an email from Tony Roper. Hi, guys. A quick note to say thanks for the podcast. I have been a fan of the Beach Boys for years, but for a long time, the only records I had were the greatest hits and pet sounds. Over the last few years, I've been buying as many of the official releases by the boys and Brian Wilson as I could, many of the albums on the two-for-one CDs. My wife thinks I'm a bit obsessive. Aren't most Beach Boys fans? Yes. But... My knowledge pales in comparison to yours, and it's been great listening to you talking about your favorite albums and chatting through the early stuff. I look forward to more. Just a quick nod of appreciation for the Fine Explorers Club music. Some great stuff which really captures the sound and spirit. Thank you. Also, if you guys don't know, um, Jason and I play in a band called the Explorers Club. Um, Mostly the same guys that play in the tribute band Sail On. But this is our original project that Jason started many years ago. And if you like the Beach Boys, you should definitely check it out. That's how I actually met Jason in the first place. Uh, He goes on to say, So question time. The only official Beach Boys album I haven't got into is Summer in Paradise. Is there any good reason to buy it? I have yet to see a good review, and it seems to be out of print and expensive. I guess it will be many podcasts down the line before you get to this one. Also, what's the verdict on solo albums other than Brian's and Dennis's? Any worth a listen? Thanks again, and keep up the good work, Tony. So regarding Summer in Paradise... uh, I think a couple months ago, 
we were on the road and coming back from a show very late at night and as we do you know we'll we'll probably blast some beach boys music to try and keep us motivated and push through the late night drives um for me it's usually something like miu or 15 big ones something really raunchy there we go um but this one night me and our keyboard player paul were sitting up in the front and i realized that paul had never really heard summer in paradise and it's been a long time since i'd really listened to it to be honest and um we blasted through the whole thing um you know it was a it was painful at times and funny at times and uh you know we laughed we cried and we bonded over summer in paradise So I suggest to everybody, you know, on a late night drive sometime, crank up Summer in Paradise on cassette or whatever format you can find it and, um, you know, just see where it takes you. See if it um, gets you through the night, if you will. <laughs> I was half awake when you were doing that. I was like in a weird, I was like in a weird fever dream. You were slipping in and out of Craig Tripp and Fall guitar solos is what was going I on. I don't ever want to slip in and out of that again. <laughs> um but yeah to uh to answer your question i don't personally own summer in paradise physically um i'm told that it only sold about a thousand copies upon its release which is pretty hard to believe but that's what i've read um so i do think it is a very rare album but if you can i mean i i would buy it if i saw it in a record store i'd buy it for sure just to add to, to the collection it's a completest piece yeah um, yeah he asked question about you know what's your favorite solo yeah. Beach Boys record. That's always easy for me. It's Pacific Ocean Blue. Yeah, and I think you know <clears throat> he says what's the verdict on solo albums other than Brian and Dennis? You know what? The Carl stuff's pretty cool at times, just for his voice. I don't really love the choice of material. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the possible minority that I actually really enjoy large portions of looking back with love i like the abba cover and i love the title track i'm gonna get like so much hate mail maybe i don't know maybe not i am hoping that they remaster that album yes, and release me it too. Me because too. i really do enjoy it i think there's some there's some cool moments on it he does a cool abba cover like you mentioned and then um he does be my baby um, which is pretty cool. And the title track, yeah, is fun. And I've seen it in the record store a few times. Yeah. Now we're looking back, looking back with love. Looking back with love. Good vibration, assassination. Losing leaders never Um, I don't own it personally, but yeah, if I see it in a record store, I'll probably buy it. Um, but I'd love to have like a digital release remaster uh, at some point. Please don't auto-tune all the vocals, Mike. Whatever you do, please. Just get Mark Lynette to do a good remaster. 
Yeah, let's just remaster it. Sounds pretty good. We just need a remaster. No remix, please. I love the cheesiness of it. It's very appropriate for the time. It was 1981, wasn't it? Yes. But yeah, I, I'd say like, you know, check out the Carl Wilson albums. He has a couple albums that he did. He took a little break from the Beach Boys in the early 80s. And um, they're pretty cool. They're a little more like R&B, um, contemporary of the time. And... Yeah, I mean, his voice sounds great. It's it's worth checking out for sure if you can find them. I have both of them on vinyl. They're very cool. And uh, I would check out, you know, Al Jardine's album, The Postcard from California. There's some cool tracks on there. I think all the Living Beach Boys are featured on that record, aren't they? Yep, and Carl, too. Yeah, yeah. There's a Carl vocal there, too. Don't Fight the Sea. Yep, great stuff. Um, definitely check that out. Um, you know, I think Brian Wilson's first solo album suffers a bit from the Eugene Landy involvement and also just kind of the the production of the times in 1988 it doesn't age very well but there's some great songs on that record um, I think Melt Away is one of my favorite Brian Wilson songs yes, in great, the last 40 years that's a great song so um, that'll bring me to what I think should be our question of the week you guys have been really cool about writing in and giving us your Beach Boys stories and stuff and keep doing that but um, I'd like to kind of get some more input on some more specific topics. So if you guys want to write in or give us a call and tell us what your favorite Beach Boys solo project is, whether it's a Mike Love, Looking Back With Love, or Brian Wilson's version of Smile, that could count. Marketplace. Um, whatever you want. Yeah, Marketplace. Yes. Um, anything you want to talk about. Yeah, let us know what you like a lot, and then we'll pass that info on to our listeners. So we left off a few weeks ago talking about the Surfing USA album that came out in March of 1963. So we're going to pick up there and kind of talk about the next few months as the boys uh, approach the release of the Surfer Girl album, which is the topic of discussion today, as you well know. Boom. On April 12th, the band played a show in Rendezvous Ballroom in Newport Beach, California, and I thought this was interesting to talk about because following the show, the Beach Boys drove down to Newport Dunes Aquatic Park and there was a band called the Centurions that were playing and the Beach Boys decided to crash the show and got on stage with them. And the two bands actually got in a fist fight and the boys were kicked out. And the show they played earlier was a huge disappointment for fans reportedly. So I think there may have been some alcohol involved on both of those cases. Where the heck was Murray? Yeah, where is Murray? Come on, Murray. Come on, Murray man. was definitely not happy about that. I'm sure um, he wasn't. I think it was probably mostly to do with Dennis. I'm just going to go ahead and guess. Probably Dennis, Dennis probably, and Mike because they were yeah. kind of co-troublemakers. Yeah, and maybe and maybe David to a lesser extent. But I, I bet Brian and Carl kind of set that one out. But I thought that was pretty interesting. Love mm -hmm. hearing about that stuff. Um on April 23rd, Jan and Dean went into the studio to record a song that Brian Wilson wrote. And Brian's first draft of the song was actually called Goody Connie, Won't You Come Back Home? And he played... What? Yeah. You ever heard that? No. <laughs> uh, while at a party with Jan and Dean, Brian played them Surfing USA on the piano and... They suggested that they do the song as a single, but Brian was like, no, we're we're keeping that song. That's a Beach Boys song. Boom. But he then, he then played them Goody Connie, Won't You Come Back Home, and 
they were like, yeah, we'll give this a shot. And they contributed new lyrics to the song, you know, retitling it Surf City. And it was featuring a lot of the Wrecking Crew guys, Hal Blaine, Glenn Campbell, Earl Palmer, etc. And um, it came out in May and it reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100, much to the chagrin of Murray because it was the first Brian Wilson composition to reach number one, but he wrote it for another band, and he was not happy about that. He called Jan a record pirate, and I heard that Jan actually showed up to the Halloween party that year dressed up as a pirate just to get under Murray's skin even more. I love that little tidbit. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, totally. Surf City definitely, I would say, benefited from Surfing USA being out before it. Yeah, um, it's it's a really good tune. I I do wish the Beach Boys had done it because I prefer the Beach Boys vocals to Jan and Dean's. Yeah, they would have sounded cooler. And it's strange to me, like, you know, you've got Brian singing like some of the falsetto stuff on there, but I think it's being doubled also. And it's super out of tune, too, at the beginning, which is really strange. It's very uncharacteristic of brian so it was probably dean yeah exactly so it's like i I blame that on jan and dean for kind of messing brian up there because brian doesn't mess up we all know that he's perfect (laughs) but um we've talked about a lot of these surf songs of the time and uh something that they all have that we've kind of noticed is the are these like kind of weird chord progressions in the intro or they're kind of like these blocky kind of like pentatonic chord progressions that maybe miss a few beats here and there and kind of stray from the key of the song and they just kind of say the refrain and um that brings me to a new segment that i like to call surf intro scramble (laughs) (laughs) two girls for every boy tack it up tack it up buddy gonna shut you down Those intros are totally like the angular nature of them is kind of like a call to toughen up for the big wave, the big wave that's no, about to totally. come. Totally, I love it. It's also it. very like like a TV show intro almost for all of them too. It's interesting. There is a uh, surf intro scramble on a song that we're going to talk about later that we both love a lot. Oh yeah, totally. I think you know what it is. Um, but yeah, so that is probably the most popular surf intro scramble of all um is surf city with that weird modular intro but you know it's really characteristic and it's memorable and catchy whether you like it or not so yeah after that uh session 
the Beach Boys are kind of playing a lot of shows around Southern California, but uh, they do a 10-date tour in the Midwest, and they actually re-enlisted Al Jardine to take Brian's place on the road for this Midwest tour, and, and Al was actually playing bass and singing Brian's lead parts, like the high falsetto parts that Brian would nor- normally take. Fitting. I don't think people know about this. Like This is something that a lot of people just kind of gloss over when they are talking about the early touring days, but um, they usually just skip to the point in late 64 when Brian has a nervous breakdown and, and they get Glenn Campbell. And then after that, they get Bruce Johnston to join. But Al was the first Brian replacement. Like Al was brought in to replace Brian on the road. I remember reading this, you know, many years ago and it was always interesting to me that people, in all the major biographies and documentaries just kind of jump to that 64 moment like you were saying i mean all along brian was kind of in and out when they were doing longer road trips because either he was working on stuff in the studio or he just as he always just kind of had um an aversion to it i also think you know it wasn't talked about a lot because they didn't want it to really be a talking point especially back in the day, they just wanted everybody to think that they were always there and that Brian was on the road. Um, but Al was taking Brian's place a good, a good bit of 63 as we'll talk about here. Um, on May 9th, Brian attended a session at United for a song summer moon, which you may remember was a Bob and Sherry song titled uh, surfer moon. And we talked a little bit about that before. And this time, this is a new group that Bob Norberg has, Bob Norberg being Brian's roommate at the time. This one is called Bob and Vicky. And How original. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk more about that song in a little bit, but Bob and Vicky's version was retitled Summer Moon. June 12th, the Beach Boys began the sessions for the Surfer Girl album with a session at Western recording the single Surfer Girl and the B-side Little Deuce Coop. This was the last session that they did without Al Jardine. So on June 14th, Brian held a session at Gold Star Recording where he did a song called Run Around Lover, was credited to uh, Brian as the writer and producer but it was performed by a girl by the name of Sharon Marie. That's a cool who song. Who they had met at a show a few weeks earlier and I think was an early girlfriend of Mike Love's.
On that same session, they also tracked a song called Back Home. Huge Back Home fan right here. Um, this was, you know, produced, arranged uh, by Brian and his roommate, Bob Norberg. And I'm pretty sure it was intended for Bob Norberg's group that uh, he had with a few friends, including Brian, called The Survivors. But this song was never released. And uh, it was later done in 1970. And then they re-recorded it again for 15 big ones. And that version was released. Um, yeah, this first, the, the early version is really cool. I love the really like, mandolin-style intro. Yeah. <clears throat> And the big horns on there and the drums and then Brian's vocals really cool on it. I've always been a big fan of the first version. Well, I'm gonna spend this summer back For the rest of the month of June, the Beach Boys went on a 10-day or so Hawaiian tour, and Brian stayed home. And on July 16th, the band went into the studio to track a bunch of songs for the Surfer Girl album, including Surfer's Rule, South Bay Surfer, Boogie Woody, um, and it's really the only other session that is listed for this album even though there's no way they recorded like eight songs in one day said it was a three-hour session that's completely impossible impossible so there's definitely some other sessions that aren't listed um, that I couldn't find info on from July 19th all the way through August 30th the band went on a huge tour of the Midwest and East Coast and while Brian very well may have started out on the tour he was back in L.A. by July 24th for a session, and I think that he remained at home the rest of the time, but I could be wrong. Um, there's a lot of uh, people that say that he rejoined the tour at some point, but I think Al probably stayed on tour from that point on. So on September 16th, they released the Surfer Girl album on Capitol Records. The album reached number seven on the U.S. Billboard charts, and this is the first album to really credit Brian Wilson as producer, although we know he's been kind of in the producer's role uh, since the beginning, along with Murray and Nick Vinay. But this was his first sole producer credit. And I think it really shows. There's a lot more going on on this record. The arrangements are richer. The production is more sophisticated. And um, the lyrics, the harmonies, everything is just... Um, taken up to the next notch for sure over the last couple albums the vocals especially have just i mean it's just like leaps and bounds beyond anything they've done up to this point yeah i think um you know you can tell right off the bat with the first track being uh surfer girl that the vocals are finally really blending and i think part of that is due to you know just the advancements in recording and Brian's knowledge of the studio. 
but also because they're maturing as singers and you can tell they're just they're just getting better all the time mm-hmm. and this was the second time they recorded surfer girl if you remember they recorded it um way back as a demo i guess you could say and this version is so much better and i'm so glad that they didn't put out the first one and this version is just uh super lush it's got you know really thick doubled harmonies and brian's uh falsetto just kind of soaring over the top and uh it's supposedly the first song that brian ever wrote and it it's a really brilliant song it reached billboard number seven in the u.s and it was a big hit and i think it also appealed to not only the boys but to the girls and i think you know that was a big part of kind of you know them having this mass appeal which was um getting girls out to concerts and buying records as well as the boys who wanted to hear songs about surfing and and hot rods Yeah, I think one thing about this song that always has drawn me in, and I think this is kind of the first instance of any of the Beach Boys recordings, um, I feel like this one has Brian Wilson melancholy to it, that this is kind of the first instance of it. And not to say that it's a sad song, but it has a weird, kind of dreamy, a little more, um, just a little more of a sad tone to the vocals. And I wonder... You know, if that was just a natural thing with his arrangement, possibly. But this has kind of like the beginnings of, you know, things to come and his greatness. So um, that's one thing I really pick up on this track for sure. Yeah, you're definitely right on with that. It was one of the songs that struck me when I was younger because I really gravitated towards this particular album. I had... uh, the cassette of this record that I played over and over again but yeah um, thanks to my dad for uh, having that cassette handy so I could really get obsessed with this record so um, we've been giving these albums and songs a ranking 1 to 10 1 being uh, the worst Beach Boys song and 10 being the best and I'm going to go ahead and give Surfer Girl an 8 out of 10 it's great I'm going to go with um, 8 out of 10 as well. I almost went 9, but I'm going to go with 8. It's a stone-cold classic. All right, so track 2 on side 1, we have Catch a Wave, written by Brian and Mike. And this is also a song that features what I call the surf intro scramble. Totally. I think it's a little more eloquent, but it's definitely a surf intro scramble. Catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world. Don't be afraid to try the greatest sport around. Catch a wave. Catch a wave. Those who don't just have to put it down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
it's been going on so long Catch a wave, catch a wave They said it even features a nice little harp flourish by Mike Love's sister, Maureen Love. I thought that was a really cool little touch, and I wonder if that was Brian's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Al Jardine is back on this song. I think this is the first song that he is back for, and you've got Brian playing organ and piano, and to me, this is like one of the best productions on the record. I love the sound of it. I love the way the guitars are kind of like crunchy and like chugging along, and... It just, it does feel like, um, it feels like kind of a proto-punk song at times, and um, it's one of the more fun songs to see live and to play live as well when we play it. I think it's a blast. It's a, it's and, a good um, rock and roll song. It's great. It's a super good rock and roll song. It's got a great little, uh, you know, trade-off uh, guitar and organ solo, which is just awesome. And... You know, it's a cool lyric. Mike did a great job on this one. And Brian's really coming into his own with his falsetto at this point. And it's just, you know, one of those trademark Beach Boys songs. It's just, it's just great. I love that you can hear Dennis really loudly in the background <clears throat> vocals on yep. the, <clears throat> during the verses. I'm a big fan of his uh, over-enthusiastic vocals. They're really great. And, uh, I agree, yeah. And you mentioned the Surf Song Scramble intro. I think this is the yep. best one. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it, it flows freely. It's what all surf intro scrambles should be. Yeah. It's what they uh, are. It, and it's, it, it's because the harmonies aren't blocky. The harmonies are awesome. Are written, you know, elegantly. And it's hard to tell when, you, when, the, first, when the first chords kick in, like where this song is going. And then when you get to that first verse, it just feels, it just settles in so nicely. The drum fill leading into the, leading into the verse um, helps it reset, which is a very cool musical device. Yeah. Um, I have a cool quote from Brian that uh, says, this was more rhythmic. The guitars were more clean and driving as if to say they didn't want to stop. The piano was played by me and it was perfectly synchronized with the guitars. The three different sounds combined to make one unique sound, and I was ecstatic about it. So this is, you know, one of those early instances of Brian realizing that combining more than one instrument, doing the same sort of thing, was making new sounds and and new instruments in the studio. Um, And I love that. And, you know, another new thing they were doing on this was um, using the vocal tracks to add claps, like over the solo section, which I thought was awesome, too. Really adds a lot to the song. Yep. Uh, this was also rewritten uh, by Roger Christian for Jan and Dean, and they did a song called Sidewalk Surfing, which was released as a single and did pretty well. It reached number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100. It's cool. doesn't have the same power as Catch a Wave, but it's still pretty neat. No, but, you know, after Surf City was a hit for Jan and Dean, they kind of rethought their whole strategy, and they just started kind of trying to get lumped in with all the surf and hot rod bands, but they also kind of, you know, were looking to do something new and they, uh, along with Roger Christian, who obviously, if you haven't heard, you should check out our fifth episode on Roger Christian. He was a lyricist for many of these songs and and groups at the time. He wanted to kind of jump on another new fad that was out there, which was skateboarding. So they called it sidewalk surfing. I thought that was really 
uh, creative and there were a few other songs about sidewalk surfing like little sidewalk surfing girl which is awesome as well um anything else you want to say about uh catch a wave before we rank it no let's get to the ranking all right cool so catch a wave i'm gonna give this song a seven out of ten i'm gonna go one higher i'm gonna go also with eight out of ten because it's purely based on there's a lot of innovations for their sound going on here and i mean that intro is just one of their most commanding intros for any of their records so um i'm a big fan of catch a wave love playing it love listening to it um yeah eight out of ten uh man and this side a especially of this record just like hits and it's just like you know you've got this awesome powerful but sweet ballad surfer girl and then you've got catch a wave which is just kind of like a tough surf song but really really melodic and beautiful and then you've got track three which we're back again talking about the surfer moon which is a beautiful ballad um and this is the same track as the summer moon which we were talking about earlier um that was never released but brian decided to use it for this record and it's a duet with himself neath the hill behind a cloud one dreamy night rising up throwing down its golden light if your heart hears its melancholy tune then you'll know it's the surfer Brings the tide in, takes it all away. Helps us ride in, brings us waves each day. I I got this quote here from Vicky from Bob and Vicky. She says, Bob and Sherry recorded the first version of Surfer Moon. The original record includes the sound of crickets and released on Safari Records. In 1963, I, Vicky, was introduced to Brian and Bob by a mutual friend as Brian was looking for a new female vocalist. After listening to the Surfer Moon, I expressed interest in making a new recording of the song. I loved the melody and the words so much. Brian rewrote the music, which now included violins, his first time adding a string section. Surfer Moon now became the Summer Moon and sung by Bob and Vicky. The record was not released. Brian then, using the same instrumental track, recorded it again and included it on the Surfer Girl album under the original name, The Surfer Moon. Bob and Vicky's version was finally released in 2013 on the Big Beat album, 1963. So yeah, I really love this song. I give it a 7 out of 10. Well, I'm going to give this one actually a 6 out of 10. Um, I've always liked this song. I know my brother is actually a big fan of this tune. There's, I think that it's cool that it was kind of the first tune that he had strings on, but I think the, the string arrangement on it and the sound of the record just reminded me so much of the Buddy Holly recordings where they added some strings later. Sure. In some regard, some regards. So I know that's kind of a weird association, but 
it just has always been there for me. I, again, I really do dig this song, mm-hmm. and I think it's great. In the in my personal um, rating scale here, though, I'm going to go six out of ten. Cool, that's fair enough. Um, moving on, you know, on the first couple of Beach Boys records, they had some covers that were uh, kind of filler tunes, and at least now we're we're looking at these songs here and at the filler songs are at least original songs or at least, you know, original renditions of traditional songs. Um, this first one is called South Bay Server and it is a Stephen Foster kind of traditional song also known as Old Folks at Home or Swanee River. Al, Brian, and Carl were credited with writing the lyrics. And I think it's fine. It's a, it's a fun little tune, as uh, you may hear, and it's a cool way to kind of use this old, you know, traditional song in a new way. And it's pretty catchy. And I think Brian, you know, was always obsessed with, you know, a lot of these traditional like either gospel or nursery rhyme songs that he just kept recording and changing and using in mm-hmm. some form um, and we'll get into it at a later date but um, his obsession with shortening bread is just bizarre like he's just it, he, he he recorded sur- shortening bread in, in some form at least 15 times so I mean it's just keep him coming oh man it's just unbelievable I mean it, it, it goes hand in hand with his obsession with, you know, Phil Spector's Be My Baby. Well, well you know, one uh. thing to point out about this, South Bay Surfer, which is old folks at home, yeah. which, he, which he blended in, like, Friends era, like, 68, with Old Man River. Right. And recorded that, like, a jillion times and never finished it. Sure, so, yeah. Um, and he also did the Honey's tune with the similar... Uh, with the same melody so he definitely felt like if anyone was going to bring Swanee River back into the collective consciousness of his generation it was going to be him yeah I think he probably has a nostalgic connection to this song and that's why he picked it and decided to kind of make it his own you know it just seemed like a natural progression probably to him and it makes sense but it kind of lends some of that rock journalism mystique to Brian Wilson as a great American composer, not just a rock and roll songwriter. So that's true. You know. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, I I'm not crazy about this song really in the context of of this album, but um, I don't mind it. I I give it a three out of ten. I think our bandmate Matt in Ceylon is a big fan of this song. I'm gonna go uh, three out of ten with you as well. Moving on, we have a, another traditional uh, tune that was arranged by Brian. This one is called The Rockin' Surfer. This was actually based on what I understand to be the Good Humor Ice Cream Truck jingle. So they would hear the Incredible. Good Humor Truck coming down the street, and it's another one of those, you know, nostalgic things. You know, Brian you know was was known for being super nostalgic about his childhood you know went on to write a song called in my childhood which ended up becoming you still believe in me on pet sounds and that's why he was using the little uh 
bicycle bell the bicycle bell as an instrument on that one and i think this is another one of those nostalgic style songs um this was actually used on a gary usher single previous to this which i thought was interesting a song that uh gary put out uh with dennis on drums actually called come and get it same melody um but they actually i think gary usher actually claimed credit for writing it on his version which of Hmm. course he would um but yeah i don't know who wrote it it's just one of those traditional songs it's just credited to uh brian wilson as the arranger um but you know it's a cool little uh organ solo if nothing else it's kind of a fun little transition song here uh between uh you know more original rock tunes and uh, I give it a 3 out of 10 yeah I'll I'll stick with you again 3 out of 10 yeah it's enjoyable little uh, listen yeah it's it's got a unique little sound to it and I I do like the nostalgia part of it Um, it's not the ice cream song that I'm familiar with um, but I was uh, it definitely feels it definitely has that feel to it so I dig it Coming up next at track six on side one of Surfer Girl, we have Little Deuce Coop. So the uh, B-side to the Surfer Girl single. Um, This song was written with Roger Christian. Brian wrote the music. Roger Christian uh, wrote some killer lyrics here for this one. This was the third car song by the band and um, the second written with Roger. And it was written about the 1932 Ford Coupe that uh, Roger Christian was so fond of. Um, We've said a lot about this song already in our Roger Christian episode, but um, just to continue that, uh, it was, you know, a pretty big hit on its own as the B-side. It reached number 15 on Billboard Hot 100, and uh, it continued, you know, that tradition of the surfer song side a and hot rod song side b you know this being one of the most popular beach boys car songs and one that is a staple in their live set today it's not one of my favorites to be honest i I think it's really cool the lyrics are great but um i think you know it's it's i think the the music of it is leaves a lot to be desired the arrangement isn't very interesting. It feels much more like a Surfing USA song. Um, but uh, I give it a 5 out of 10. Well, my perspective on this tune is it truly is maybe one of my favorite car songs. Um, awesome. I love how hard it swings. That's what, yeah. I love about, that's what I love about this track. And and it really, I don't know, to me it it harkened back to an earlier era of rock and roll, but the production was nice and dry on this recording. It's not very echoey or reverby. And so it has kind of a little more of a, a raw feel to it, but it, it just swings so hard. I'm a big, I'm actually a really big fan of the songs. One of my favorites of the early era. Um, so for me, it's a seven out of 10 big fan, of little deuce coop. That's great. Uh, so let's move on to side two. Now track one, We're going to go back to our buddy Gary Usher here. Him and Brian wrote this song. It's called In My Room, and it's one that 
most Beach Boys fans are very familiar with. Another ballad in 6-8 time that evokes that uh, melancholy and emotional side of Brian that we love so much and that we've come to be so familiar with. Um, this is one of my favorite early Beach Boys songs, definitely. There's a cool quote that I found by Brian about this song uh, where he says, I really enjoyed producing In My Room. There's a story behind this song. When Dennis Carl and I lived in Hawthorne as kids, we all slept in the same room. One night I sang the song Ivory Tower to them and they all liked it. Then a couple of weeks later, I proceeded to teach them both how to sing the harmony parts to it. It took them a little while, but they finally learned it. We then sang this song night after night. It brought peace to us. When we recorded In My Room, there was just Dennis, Carl, and me on the first verse, and then we sounded like we did in our bedroom all those nights. I think it's just an amazing testament to why I mean why this band is so special and why those harmonies are so great and um, it just makes this song so much more meaningful to hear that from Brian because mm-hmm. uh, this was really an introspective song about about him being alone in his thoughts and and you know having somewhere he can go but then at the same time it's also uh, his brother's room too so it was also about being with his brothers and kind of getting away from their dad who uh, was very, very difficult to be around and was very hard on them. So I think it's a really sweet song. It's also a really sad song. Um, Gary uh, Usher, who co-wrote it with Brian, says, In My Room found us taking our craft a little more seriously. Brian and I came to the house one night after playing baseball, and I played bass. Brian was on organ. The song was written in an hour, around 1 a.m. in their music room. Brian's melody all the way, the sensitivity, the concept, meant a lot to him. When we finished, it was very late. In fact, Murray came in a couple of times and wanted me to leave. Anyway, we got Audrey, who was putting (laughs) putting her hair up before bed, and we played it for her. She said, that's the most beautiful song you've ever written. Murray said, not bad, Usher, not bad, which was the nicest thing he ever said to me. What's your thoughts here, J-Dog? Well, there are so many layers here to get into. Um, I'd say the first thing that always jumps out at me at this song is, I mean, great production, love that intro, 
Um, you got the, the harp the, again. The guitar with the harp. Um, I mean, their voices are amazing. Um, and just the advanced, you know, chords on this are great. The timing even of some of these chord movements is a little unorthodox and really fantastic. Um, so all that stuff aside, you know, there's a lot of layers here. And I think if a you know, hundred years from now, if a symphonic arranger wanted to do a Brian Wilson suite, um, it would begin with this song. If you're just talking about kind of the life of Brian or the character of Brian, I think this song evolving into I Just Wasn't Made for These Times and then ending out with Till I Die are kind of the three most personal autobiographical Brian Wilson tunes, whether he intended that or not. It's certainly, um, you know, kind of to me, kind of says a lot about him as a writer, producer, and as a person. So in my room is the beginning, is the genesis of him kind of letting his audience in on who he really was. And I think that's kind of awesome, you know, because that was a, a thing that Bob Dylan had you know, hammered on the Beatles early on. He said, hey, you guys are writing all these cool tunes and you're amazing, but I don't know who you are through your music. Um, and I think Brian was kind of on the early, early curve of that before they got to it. Certainly a contemporary of Dylan in that respect, if you want to go that far. Uh, and I think he was really writing from the heart with Gary on this tune. Um and this song has been so influential on so many people. I think one of my favorite things I heard about is that uh, David Crosby, who was in The Birds, and then later, obviously, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who's regarded as one of the greatest harmony singers, because he sang lead on stuff, but he was always kind of the glue that glued all those Birds harmonies, and then the Crosby, Stills, and Nash stuff, he found all the weird notes. So, But he said when he heard In My Room, because he was just doing folk music at the time, you know, traditional folk, but when he heard In My Room, it showed him that rock and roll could exist with the kind of harmony that he was kind of rolling around in his head, kind of unique, weird, out, out of the box stuff. And I know, and it, I just heard that it floored him. So, and I'm sure it did many others, including myself and, you know, lots of other musicians out there, but you know, this song has a lot of layers. Um, so leading into that, I'm just going to go ahead and give my ranking. It's, I mean, it's a nine out of 10. Yeah. One of the, be uh, one of the best beach boy songs. It definitely is. Um, I give it an 8 out of 10. I'm crazy about this song as well. I do love also that uh, in the bridge, they start off singing all in unison, you know, and then break out into four-part harmony, which is so, you know, very Brian. It's the four freshman style. Um, yeah. And also, you know, something that he got into when he was young in his room, listening to records. So just really sweet, just a thoughtful song, a smart song, and a sad song. And uh, I know Brian said at one point um, that when he went back and listened to the song, he didn't actually realize how autobiographical it was until he listened to it, you know, years later. So um, sometimes, you know, the best art just comes out and you don't even have time to realize uh, what what just came out of you? Um, so it's it's really sweet and great, and we could 
probably spend a whole episode talking about this song, but yep. uh, I'll just wrap it up by saying uh, Gary came back to this song several years later in 1969 when he did a cover of it, if you will, um, with his super group Sagittarius, which uh, featured Kurt Betcher and Gary singing lead vocals. Uh, and I thought that version was really cool. Very, very neat to hear Gary come back to the song uh, in kind of a different style in a different era. Just a note, like a little personal note within my room, when uh, me and my wife, when we had our, our daughter, when she was a baby, I would play this song all the time to her. I'd sing it to her when I rocked her to sleep. And uh, we, a few years later, we got to see Brian... Um, and they played in my room at the show, and she just was beyond ecstatic. So this song totally um, kind of translates, and all ages can relate to it, too. So I think that's kind of an astounding hallmark of that song. Yeah, that's great. Well, we are on to side two, track two, and this song is a Brian Wilson and Mike Love tune called Hawaii. really fun surf song um, uh, kind of you know in the theme in the in the same vein as surf and safari and surf in USA um, but kind of kind of uh, focusing on Hawaii and the Hawaiian girls there if you will kind of a precursor to California girls in a way and um, this was actually a a top 10 hit in Australia, which I didn't know until recently. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I also read that Mike had a sore throat during this session, and that was also the same session as Catch a Wave. And listening back to it, you can definitely tell. Yeah, I always picked up on that when I was a kid. I was like, oh, he sounds like he's yeah. sick. Yeah, I thought, you know, listening to it as a kid too, that, um, that it was Dennis singing lead on this song. And that's why I thought that, because Mike had a hoarseness to his voice like Dennis does naturally and uh, but I think it sounds really cool it's another you know kind of great powerful production by Brian here um, I love the sound of the vocals uh, I love the the outro on this um, I love the sound of the reverb on Brian's vocal it's just a great production and a really fun tune and one of their best surf songs in my opinion I give it a 6 out of 10 yep I think one thing, speaking of production, I feel like they definitely put a lot of production value into this song. Um, I love that there's two drum sets on it. There's uh, the regular drum kit that's keeping the regular rock beat, and then there's the brushes drum that's playing on like toms, or it might have been the snare, but I think it sounds like toms to me, um, to kind of give it that continuous chug on it, which they bring back later on... Uh, I get around they do the same exact uh, uh method so that's a cool little thing that i was always into on this because i remember listening to it i was like well 
how is that drummer playing with four hands? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then I, when I got older and wasn't eight anymore, I realized, oh, well, they either overdubbed that or, or they had two guys playing at the same time. So um, for me, it's a, it's also a six out of 10. I, I crank it up pretty, pretty hardcore every time I listen to it. So it's definitely on the better end of the scale for me. Moving on. Track three on side two is Surfer's Rule. <laughs> written by Mike and Brian. This is another surf intro scramble, totally. boys and girls, and it's not quite as eloquent as Catch a Wave, but it's really rad because, you know, the Beach Boys, let's just, you know, be honest, they are the best at the surf intro scramble. It's a genuine fact that the surfers Not only is it a great Beach Boys surf song, but it's kind of a rival song. If you listen to the outro, you hear them singing Four Seasons, You Better Believe It. Right. Um, and they, at the time, were kind of in a chart race for, you know, with the Four Seasons. Four Seasons were cranking out big hits right around the same time, and they were a four-part vocal group. And the Beach Boys were a four-part vocal group. One was East Coast, one was West Coast. So we can thank the Four Seasons and the Beach Boys for the original rap wars of East Coast versus West Coast. But truly, um, I, I love that at the end of the song, they say, Four Seasons, you better believe it, followed by Brian singing uh, Walk Like a Man's uh, melody. Pretty pretty uh, strong fighting words if you ask me and i do believe that the next year the um four seasons sort of answered this tune um with their song no surfing today And uh, it's funny you mentioned that, and it's funny that we get to that because I actually went and saw Jersey Boys last week here in Nashville. Nice. And um, the music's really great. Um, you know, we're we're obviously big fans of harmony music, and uh, it was really cool to see kind of uh, you know both those groups kind of doing their thing on opposite coasts, and the. Jersey Boys being obviously like this tough guy group of Italian guys that had ties to the mob and all this stuff. But the Beach Boys are like, yeah, well, you know, we're tough too. Like we drive hot rods and we go surfing and we've got the <laughs> coolest girls and like we dress like cool dudes. And, you know, I just love that they were just like, you know, what do you guys got? Like we're cooler. You guys, you guys might have organized crime, but we got surfing <laughs> and girls. Yeah, in closing for Surfer's Rule, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. It's a solid, solid tune. That's exactly what I was going to give it. Um, I really love Dennis' vocal on it. We didn't mention that he's the lead vocalist. Yeah, he does He does sing um, the lead on this, one of so his early ones, and it sounds he's, great. He's, he's rocking pretty good. 5 out of 10, 5.5 out of 10. How about that? 
I mean, they had to have Dennis, Dennis sing it because he's the only credible surfer in the group. So yeah, I do believe that to this day, if Dennis were here today, he would be duetting with Mike on Surfing Earth. Oh boy, Surfing Earth is back. We can't get rid of Surf. Surfing Earth needs to have a surf intro scramble at the it beginning. Can we agree does. on that? But but more of a transcendental meditation inspired surf scramble. We're gonna have to come up with some way to um, bring Surfing Earth to life. Um, we'll uh, uh, we'll see if we can. Out be a, a discussion for another day i have an idea but you just have to stay okay. tuned for the idea okay cool we'll we'll talk about it later but if you guys are interested in surfing earth we haven't gotten any emails or voicemails about surfing earth yet so the uh interest is not there so far but um you know we're gonna keep bringing it up yeah. surfing earth being you know a uh natural uh progression transcendence if you will of yes the uh surfing usa theme so uh, the we're gonna the, we're gonna make it there the globalist view that's right surfing earth if every country had an ocean uh all right so coming up next here we've got uh track four on side two our car club Yes. So this is another Brian Wilson and Mike Love song. I thought maybe Roger Christian wrote these lyrics, but nope. Good old Mike Love is in there writing some songs about hot rods too. But yeah, this is a song that is close to us because our uh, our band, The Explorers Club, is a bit of a fake car club, if you will. Like we have fake uh, car club jackets that we wear when we go out and play shows and. Uh, for a while there when we were touring for our uh, Together album we would uh, enter stage to this song our car club would play so good. and we would we would come on stage like the like the cool dudes that we are like we just hopped out of a 32 Ford um, and uh, play harmony pop music for um, older people <laughs> I love it you can let the wheel have my jackets on But yeah, so this song is a super tough song. I love the lyric, and um, I really enjoy the drumming on this song. It's I think amazing. This was kind of you know really hitting it, really hitting all cylinders here. I think this. I think this is Hal Blaine. It is Hal Blaine. I'm almost certain. Okay, cool. That's that's definitely believable because it's very good. <laughs> it's very good drumming. Yeah, that's, so, um, that's definitely Hal on okay, the tubs. Cool. That's that's a definite. Uh, Hal Blaine style. That's probably even his bigger drum well, kit with the tune toms. Not, not the full tune toms. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show how much I know. Um, sorry about that, Dennis. But uh, yeah, Hal Blaine. Really killing it here. Um, super catchy drum part and a great, you know, little riff and melody. And I love the harmony arrangement and. Pretty much everything about this song. It's really, really good. Um, 
it's not really breaking any new ground, but I really enjoy it. I give it a six out of 10. I'm going to say that it's a six out of 10, just like you, Wyatt. I think it's a really tough Beach Boys tune, which I think is cool. I love the drums on it, like yeah. you mentioned. And uh, vocals are great. The horns on it are really awesome. Some, That's some, true. Some deep saxophone action. And um, I don't know. It's just, if you listen to, and it's funny, some of the tracks on this record, uh, like the, some of the instrumentals still sound kind of primitive, like the first couple of records. And I don't mean primitive in a cool way. Primitive isn't a, okay, we're getting by. But you listen to this as a pretty sophisticated rocker, even though it's simplistic in chord progression, it is just one killer sounding record. Yeah, in, in full agreement with you on that. Um, so up next, we have another song written by Brian and Bob Norberg called Your Summer Dream. Drive your car down to the sea This song uh, also really was special for me as a kid when I discovered this album. I think this was outside of Surfer Girl and In My Room. This song stuck out to me a lot, and it still is one of my favorite Beach Boys songs. Um, it's very advanced. Again, I think, you know, I'm not sure exactly what, what Bob Norberg's, you know, contributions are to this song, but, man, the composition is awesome. It's It's, it's a very interesting chord progression and melody and um this one is just you know again just brian by himself and um a really cool mellow vibe to it i love the guitar sound on this and the lyric and it definitely has that brian wilson melancholy feel going for it too that nostalgia um and i just can't get enough of this song I give it an 8 out of 10. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go 8 out of 10 as well. I really agree with you big time on all of the things that you said. Um, this song is, to me, just super magical song. His vocal, unbelievable. I love that it's an acoustic guitar and kind of an electric guitar blended, I think, at points. I was going to so, ask, it sounds like one guitar, but I, I can definitely believe that there's I think it's some two. blending going on. I think there's, when you hear it from the, I, I think the way they mic'd it and the way it's recorded, it sounds like the attack of an acoustic guitar is being, like the like the higher end of that is being used, and then the it's being filled out by an amped guitar. That's what I hear. A um, little bit of reverb on that amp, too, probably. But um, it's definitely a combo of things. I love the way the drums sound, and I think the drums on it are pretty loose, so I'm wondering who it is on drums, if it's Dennis, or if it's one of these where they cut guitars and maybe Brian added drums of himself playing. So I don't know. I need to find that out, but, um, but, but may not have been doing that at that point yet. But um, it's a super awesome recording and there's some mistakes that are audible but it makes it just that much more human um i don't know it's is 
I could talk about it for a long time, but you covered all the good stuff, so eight out of ten. Okay, so closing out side two of Surfer Girl, we have another traditional song arranged by Brian Wilson um, called Boogie Woody. This is the worst song on the record. It's fine. It's just one of those things, you know, let's fill up the little slot here. And this is one of those little boogie-woogie piano things that Brian was known to... Um, when he was frustrated in the studio, he would just go start banging out this type of stuff and it would clear his mind and um, it definitely kind of, it was kind of like a way to reset. It's kind of the most primitive, you know, sort of piano rock that he learned from his dad back in the day. And um, it's a really interesting, you know, it, you know, there, there's a lot more to say about it than the song would lead you to believe. Um, the song itself is just, you know, a throwaway track, but I think there's a lot that you can read into it as far as, you know, the motivation behind it. But I, I would give it a 2 out of 10. I'm going to go 1 out of 10. ten <laughs> no! Ten. Have we had a 1 out of 10 yet? No. Yeah. That's the first 1 out of 10, ladies and gentlemen. I'm you heard it here of- first. <laughs> Jason mean- Brewer hates Boogie Woody. It's just a garbage song. You think it's the worst Beach Boys song? Or it's on par. It's on par with the worst Beach Boys song there is. That's what you're saying. Unless you can give a zero. Unless you can give a zero. No, no. Zero is going to (laughs) happen. Okay. That's fair enough. All right. Zero zero is the new new one. All right. That's fine. Um, I mean... I'm going one out of ten because that's great. It's just obviously like, oh god, we got some tape left. We gotta fill up this album, boys. That's exactly what it is. And uh, it's cool that Brian's jamming out on the piano. I mean, rad. It just it doesn't sound like a anything else on the record. I mean, it doesn't even fit with the other instrumentals. So it is what it is. It's it's in my book. It's a one. All right, so in closing, I think, you know, overall, this record is one of the strongest of the early period, and these several songs that really stand out on this record, Surfer Girl, Catch a Wave, The Surfer Moon, uh, Little Deuce Coop, In My Room, Hawaii, and Your Summer Dream, those songs are all fantastic and I think warrant uh, this album being in my top 10 Beach Boys records. And I think I would give this record a overall score of 7 out of 10. It's a really, really great record. I'm going to go overall score for this album is 7 out of 10. I think the great, great, great moments counterbalance some of the terrible moments on the record, um, which there aren't many terrible moments. But... Um, I think this record's a big advancement in their production sound, songwriting, harmony singing. You got essentially six Beach Boys involved on this record, which is pretty incredible, pretty awesome. Um, And, you know, you first kind of really get obvious um, help with some Wrecking Crew people on the record, which will kind of, it's kind of blazing some trails for some future um, 
achievements by Brian, um, innovations, achievements, what have you. Um, Surfer Girl is a really important album in the band's career. Um, maybe not as successful as its predecessor, Surfing USA, but definitely far more important and successful from production and writing standpoint. So I'm a huge fan. I know why it's a really big fan. It's a big influence on him. Uh, seven out of 10, really excited. I'm really glad I got to listen to this album a bunch this week. So um, it just reminds me of why I love this band. Yep, we are in agreement here for the most part. Um, it's a fun period, um, and I think next week it would be appropriate for us to talk about David Marks since uh, we are at the end, for the time being, of the David Marks era. Because, uh, spoiler alert, he is about to leave the band. Thanks, Murray. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Al's back, so they were going to be just fine. So, man, um, but yeah, well, better than fine. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss, um, some David Marks projects next week. And we've also got a very, very special voicemail that I want to play for you guys. Really appreciate everybody for listening and telling your friends about it. And I hope you guys will call in. Our number is in the show notes, but um, it's 615-606-3887. And our email is saleonpodcast at gmail.com. I made a Twitter account if you want to kind of follow us on there. I'm posting um, episodes when they're released and also tour dates. And that's Sail on Sounds. So until next time, this is Wyatt. And that's Jason. And uh, thanks, Will C., for the music, as always. And we'll see you guys next week. Sail on, sailors. <laughs>